Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I was in Orlando before Miami, and I came straight to Miami, and I've been here for like 29, 30 years, and and Miami raised me, and, and Miami is what I, the flag that I wave, and that I breathe, and... I bleed, everything is Miami, you know what I'm saying? You know, Miami, we just different, you know what I'm saying? Like, we special, um, we confident, and, you know, I mean this with love, we don't see nobody, meaning as in, like, we Miami, you know what I'm saying? That, in case you didn't recognize the voice, was famed DJ, record producer, record executive, rapper, and Miami Heat superfan, DJ Khaled. Why start a podcast about one of the more intriguing teams in NBA history with a musical artist raving about the city? Well, first of all, why not? There'll be plenty more of that unmistakable voice throughout, by the way. Second, because this Heat team's story wasn't just about high-profile teammates getting together to reach an extremely lofty goal. It had the secondary effect of elevating a franchise and an entire city along the way. There might be some of you listening right now who only learned of Khaled because of that Heat fandom. There are definitely some of you listening who only know who I am, largely because of that Miami Heat team. I'm your host, Israel Gutierrez, and I, like Khaled, was raised by Miami. I've lived here since I was two years old, growing up a fan of all the local teams, which started with only the Dolphins, but then eventually expanded to the Heat Panthers, and Marlins. I became a journalist after graduating from the University of Florida, and fortunately never had to leave South Florida when I began my professional career in 2000. The same teams I grew up watching and cheering for, I suddenly had to cover as an objective journalist. By 2010, I'd covered the heat as a beat writer for seven years and had been a columnist at the Miami Herald for three That's 10 years as a professional to tag on to another decade of just being a Miami fan. And nothing, absolutely nothing, could have prepared me, or any Miami native, frankly, for what was on the way. It's the start of 2010, and Miami was about to host its 10th Super Bowl and second in four years. Miami as a city was comfortable being at the center of the sports landscape, but mostly as a host to outside teams and their fans. 
fans looking to get kissed by the sun and possibly experience a 24-hour nightclub in between cheering on their teams. Rare was the occasion where Miami's own sports would garner the type of attention that caught the nation's eye for any length of time. And in 2010, Miami was in one of those sleepy sports cycles where there wasn't much to look at. The Florida Panthers were in the midst of their ninth straight season missing the playoffs. The Florida Marlins were only seven years removed from a second World Series in team history, but were about to start a seventh straight season without reaching the postseason again. And the Miami Dolphins were in the second year of a seven-year stretch with no playoffs. Then there were the Miami Heat. The Heat had won the championship in 2006, in the second season after Shaquille O'Neal blessed the town with championship legitimacy, and in the third season of now superstar Dwayne Wade, who the Heat drafted in 2003. But that flash of sports supremacy faded quickly, as Shaq's relationship with the organization deteriorated and he was traded to Phoenix in 2008 after only three plus seasons with the Heat. In the few years that followed their championship, Wade had won a scoring title in 2009 and was third in MVP voting. He was matching or surpassing the best players in the league with his performances, but he also happened to play the same shooting guard position as Kobe Bryant, the Lakers legend who had won four titles and would win his fifth in 2010. Even as Wade was leading the 08 Olympic team in scoring, it was Kobe who received most of the adoration and all of the starting nods for the gold medal winning Redeem team. What the Miami Heat organization did over the next four years to maximize their success with Wade, who was still in his prime, was simply build one of the most dynamic, controversial, explosive, exciting, successful, and unforgettable teams in sports history. Teaming with Wade would be LeBron James, the game's best player, and Chris Bosh, another highly skilled all-star with championship aspirations. It was a joining of forces so surprising it was difficult to believe it, even as it was happening. It was a team so immediately rich with high-end talent and even more pressurized expectations, it would almost be impossible to sustain for any extended length of time. This wasn't just about an organization cashing in while it could for some additional gold trophies. It was now about a responsibility to the game of basketball to make sure this worked. To make sure LeBron, a player who many already predicted could rival the greatest of all time, would finally break through and start his run toward basketball immortality that only can truly begin with an NBA championship. To make sure Wade and Bosch cement their Hall of Fame careers with multiple rings. It was a team that, if it worked, would revive a city and more importantly, empower and encourage other players to take more control of their careers and changed the NBA forever. And little did anyone really know at the time, but Miami would have a limited amount of time to complete all of that. Four years of heat. And yes, I said the name of the podcast. Four years of a team that ran so hot, it probably couldn't last much longer than it actually did. Dan Lebetard has been writing and talking about sports in his hometown of Miami for portions of four decades. He's attended the University of Miami, he's written for the Miami Herald, written and worked on television and radio for ESPN, and currently is running his own media company, Metal Arc Media, highlighted by its signature podcast, The Dan Lebetard Show with Stu Gatz. There might not be a better person to paint the picture of the Miami sports landscape than Lebetard. The Heat had experienced the most consistent success of the pro sports teams in town, but not enough to stand out amongst more established winners. Miami had established itself as a town that had Pat Riley and uh, before Dwayne Wade, Alonzo Mourning, Tim Hardaway. And so there had been some winning, but basketball was not dominating this town, even in failure, which the Dolphins had plenty of, uh, the Dolphins were still the thing in the town and, uh, the star power of the team, the furthest it went was Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway. Those were the successful teams, the ones that would always die at Michael Jordan's doorstep. It wasn't a champion. It was largely a regional team, not a national one. And locally, uh, this was absolutely not a basketball town. 
uh, liked basketball, but basketball probably was behind baseball and football back then. Wade had known the ultimate success, both as an individual and with his team. But in his seventh NBA season, he'd been chasing that championship feeling again for a few years now. A seven-game first-round series loss to the Atlanta Hawks in 09 was nice, but nowhere near the thrill he'd get from facing those Detroit Pistons teams deep into the playoffs just a few years prior. Shot clock is off. They'll dribble it out. For the first time in franchise history, the Miami Heat are going to the NBA Finals. Wade knew what basketball at its highest level felt like. He wanted that again. And there was one game in particular in 2010, in the middle of a season that was far short of special for Miami, that reminded him of what that felt like. And maybe even gave us a glimpse of what kind of basketball wizardry was headed toward the 305. It was a game between the Heat and Cleveland Cavaliers in what was then still called American Airlines Arena. And it featured a matchup of redeemed team pals Wade and LeBron James. I still talk about that game today when people ask me like, what was your favorite kind of game in the NBA? That's Mario Vernard Chalmers. You might just know him as Mario Chalmers, a collegiate champion at Kansas, who was in his second year in the league in 2010 and started about a quarter of the Heat's games at point guard. That was like the one time I felt myself as a player being in the moment and I just want to watch. Like, I don't, I don't want to do anything but watch Bron go this way, D-Way go that way. And that's when I was just like, wow, these like, this is what it takes to be a superstar in the league. This is why these guys are stars. And like, I was really starstruck in that moment in the game. That game was on January 25th, 2010. Wade and the Heat were in the middle of a 47-win season that would earn them the fifth seed in the playoffs, while LeBron was in the midst of his second straight MVP season on a Cavs team that would lead the league with 61 wins. There wasn't quite love in the air that night, but there wasn't nearly as much venom for an opponent as usual. In fact, it would be LeBron's last visit to Miami before his free agency that offseason, so the fans were a little extra friendly to help court the king a few months early, bringing signs that would hope to get his attention. A few of the signs looked professionally executed, with the most memorable one being a fake Facebook page with LeBron's status as in a relationship with the Miami Heat. A little more than halfway through the second quarter, Wade and James put on a back and forth duel that builds legends. This was the jaw-dropping stretch of game Chalmers was talking about. James and Wade already had a few moments in this showcase of stars, but with 5-11 left in the first half, LeBron unknowingly started the memorable exchange by dunking on Wade. And another steal, this one by Varejo, here comes James again. The freight train has left the station. Explodes for the dunk, the foul on Dwayne Wade. Oh my, Wade was thought he was going up for a layup. LeBron dunked the ball, Wade jumped up with two hands trying to block it, and he gets the foul. What a move by LeBron James. Giving the Cavaliers their first lead of the game. A 19-4 run, and the explosion by James. Wow. Wade never took well to being on the wrong end of a highlight play. So the very next play, he drew a foul and hit two free throws. After that, a pair of LeBron free throws. And then, two of the most dynamic athletes in the game decided to put on a shooting display that gave this regular season game an all-star feel. Oh, baby! Three-pointer for Wade and he got fouled! James answers back with a three ball. And with these two guys, it's anything you can do, I can do better. It's on again, coach, and it started early. Wade with 23, James with 16. Here he goes again. Oh, man. The crowd's trying to egg on Dwayne Wade to come back again now. Here he comes. Wade colliding with Varejao, one of the great individual shows you will ever see. It's an instant classic. Shot clock at six. Wade against Parker. Here's a three. And there's your there third. It is, baby. Oh, man. Woo. Dwayne Wade's best scoring half of the year. 30. Here he goes. Three on the way. And what else would you expect? What else would you expect from LeBron James there? Wade from the backcourt. 
Oh, man, don't take your eye off this game. Wade and James share a smile. <laughs> and how could you not enjoy it right along with them? Wade literally skipped off the floor on his way to the halftime locker room after sharing a glance and a smile with LeBron. That high level of basketball he'd been so familiar with was back on that Monday night in Miami. And his friend LeBron providing all the counter punches made him feel alive again. You know, the competition is great. At the end of the day, you know, we understand it's a team game. You know, I think second half proved that. But, you know, there's moments within the game where, you know, um, you take on the competition of it. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit anything you can do. I can do better. Um, you know, kind of competition for a little while. And it's fun for the fans. Um, and, you know, as long as we're not doing anything outside of what our team wants to do, um, it's, it's good for our team. So, you know, probably one of the best second quarters um, that I've had. And, um, you know, just back and forth was, was good. 4.1 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Miami trailing 92 to 91. He will have Quinn Richardson inbound. He's got Jermaine O'Neal, Alston, Wade, and Haslam. And here we go. Wade catches it. Guarded by James for the win. Miami's fifth one-point game and their second one-point loss. Wade and the home crowd left slightly disappointed, but feeling like they'd made their point to one LeBron James. Fast forward to the end of that season. The Heat had just been knocked out of the playoffs as the number five seed by the fourth seeded Boston Celtics. It was the second consecutive first round exit for Miami, and this one didn't even include the seven game drama that the previous year's series against Atlanta managed. In five games, Wade had just averaged 33.2 points on 56% shooting, including 40% from three, with 6.8 assists, 5.6 rebounds, but could manage only one win in the series against the Celtics. On the post-game podium, in a makeshift press conference in the bowels of Boston's TD Garden, Wade made a declaration so confident, it had some wondering if that was more than just a superstar believing in himself. Uh, well, like, like I said before the playoffs started, this, um, you know, this playoff run, the drive, had no indication on my decision um, going forward. Um, well, this would be my last first-round exit for a while, i tell you that. Um, so I'm looking forward to, you know, continue to build um, and, and being with um, um, some great players next year. Tim Reynolds has been covering the Miami Heat since the 2002-03 season, the last before Wade was drafted. By this point, he'd grown close enough to Wade to know there was extra meaning behind that statement. When Dwayne sat there at the podium in Boston and said that, I'm like, hmm, okay, there's something to it. Two rounds later, there was another disappointed superstar sending signals. The Celtics had just knocked LeBron James out of the playoffs in six games. James was playing through a bulky elbow and ended the deciding game six with 27 points, 19 rebounds, 10 assists, and nine turnovers. The Boston Celtics with the huge upset. They advanced to the conference finals. And LeBron James' season is over. Is his career in Cleveland over? As he walked off the floor and into the tunnel leading to the Cavs locker room, James took off his Cavaliers jersey and once he entered the locker room, casually flipped it to an attendant. Cleveland fans wondering if that's the last time he'll take off a Cavalier jersey. What did it mean, everyone wanted to know. In less than two months' time, LeBron would be an unrestricted free agent for the first time. Following seven years in Cleveland, his adopted city after growing up in nearby Akron, Ohio, James would have to make the most difficult decision of his professional career. The answer to the question everybody wants to know. LeBron, what's your decision? Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. 
That's code DK Hoops only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests we are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jim Gray is a media sports legend. He's interviewed icons of sports like Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, Kobe Bryant, and Mike Tyson, once famously with a broken back, Spinal. He wrote a book called Talking to Goats, the moments you remember and the stories you never heard. And among the subjects was LeBron James. Gray had known LeBron from his days covering him in high school to his early NBA days. Gray would also fly to LeBron's hometown of Akron, Ohio, to cover the annual PGA Firestone Golf Tournament, where he would also visit with Maverick Carter, LeBron's longtime friend and business manager since 2006, and other associates of LeBron, including the other founders of their agency and sports marketing firm, LRMR, Rich Paul, and Randy Mims. Of all the interviews Gray has completed in his career, he would have one nationally televised event with LeBron that would become one of his most controversial. James chose to air his free agency decision live on ESPN the evening of July 8, 2010, in the form of a one-hour special. The decision, as the show was called, peaked at more than 13 million viewers as LeBron would announce his choice about halfway into the special. I talked with Jim about how that option came about and whether or not he thought that interview would set in motion such a wave of hatred toward the best basketball player in the game. It began with a conversation at an NBA Finals game in Los Angeles in 2010 between Gray and Carter. I just saw Maverick Carter uh, that evening of a playoff game uh, sitting with Ari Emanuel, who was the head of William Morris uh, Endeavor, and they were sitting in Ari's uh, front row seats, and uh, the Lakers were playing, uh, and I walked down and saw him at halftime and shook his hand and I said, hey, Mav, uh, would it be possible to do the first interview with LeBron after he chooses a team? And uh, he said, I, I would consider that. And then it just 
out of nowhere, I kind of said, and you know, perhaps we should just do an hour special and have him announce it uh, on the air. Uh, what's the difference between that and a press conference? You know, let him make his own announcement. And uh, Ari said, that's a brilliant idea. And Maverick said, right then he said, you know, we could probably raise a bunch of money for charity. For full context, the idea of LeBron announcing his decision in that public a manner was mentioned in a mailbag column by noted Boston sports fan Bill Simmons. A reader named Drew Wagner was inspired by high school recruits announcing their college choices live on television and recommended a live show on ABC called LeBron's Choice. But it wouldn't be Simmons who executed the plan. Gray brought it up to Carter at that finals game, and Carter convinced LeBron to do it, while Emmanuel pitched the idea to then ESPN president John Skipper. We had an opportunity to uh, possibly put it on NBC because I had worked at NBC on the NBA for a long time, and uh, Maverick uh, ultimately felt that it should be with one of the NBA carriers, uh, ESPN, ABC, or, or Turner, and uh, that was fine. And so uh, uh, they eventually worked something out with, uh, with ESPN and with uh, John Skipper uh, to, uh, to take over the time. And uh, we raised uh, $6.5 million uh, for the Boys and Girls Clubs uh, of America, and it's still, I believe to this day, the largest contribution that has ever been made to that organization and has helped the lives of countless uh, hundreds of thousands of kids. Uh, John Skipper was very gung-ho because he knew the, the amount of attention that this was going to garner, and he was 100% behind that because it, it represented the largest audience they'd ever had for a television show, not for a live event, but for a television show. Uh, which I, which I believe still holds up to this day, uh, for a show, you know, not to be confused with a Monday night football game or, or perhaps an NBA, you know, playoff game or something of of, of that ilk. But for a one-off show, uh, uh, for that hour, you know, he knew uh, just how much people would watch it, and uh, he knew, you know, that it would be it would be must-see TV. ESPN assigned Gray a producer he was familiar with, and they went over Gray's interview questions and plans for the show. The next day, Gray met with LeBron and his associates for some promotional photos, and then drove from a nearby home to the Boys and Girls Club in Greenwich, Connecticut. With them was LeBron's then-girlfriend and now-wife, Savannah Brinson. Gray said the ride was largely quiet, in part because he himself asked not to know what team LeBron was choosing ahead of time. I did not want to know what his decision was. I intentionally uh, told Maverick, told LeBron, and told Leon Rose, do not tell me. Because I, I didn't want to know. I wanted it to be real, at least from my end. And I also didn't want to be the one who accidentally blurts this out because anything can happen. You know, somebody's talking in your ear, so I just didn't want to know. I wanted to know when the audience knew. Quick pause. We already know there's no way to truly have predicted how negative the response was to LeBron airing this decision. The purity of the idea, raising millions for the Boys and Girls Club of America while announcing information everyone is dying to know, is really hard to dispute. How could anyone truly see the level of vitriol that would follow such a selfless act of charity? Well, a few folks did. Jackie McMullen was one. Jackie is a now retired NBA writer who worked for the Boston Globe, Sports Illustrated, and ESPN, among other media outlets along the way. She not only saw that an hour special for a 10-second announcement seemed like ego-inflated overkill, but she called the move unfathomable on ESPN News the night before the decision. I was actually in Bristol, Connecticut, for a couple of days in advance of the decision. And I remember going on the air I think it was live and saying, don't do this. <laughs> the self-importance of thinking that your decision is more important than any decision ever made in the history of the NBA. Now think about it. At that point, LeBron has won exactly nothing. Now he's gone on to be arguably the greatest or one of the greatest, depending on where you land, players of all time. He certainly proved us wrong in terms of his own self-worth, if you will. And, you know, but in that moment, do not tell Cleveland what you were doing until moments before you told everybody else, or in some cases, I think moments after you told everybody else, 
I just didn't understand the logic behind that. Just one day before the decision, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh had already announced their free agency choice. They did it live on ESPN, exclusively, in an interview with a respected journalist, Michael Wilbot. They announced they'd be playing in Miami, Wade, of course, re-signing, and Bosch leaving Toronto, the only team he'd known for seven seasons. Sound familiar? We're going to cut right to the chase. Dwayne and Chris, Dwayne, we'll start with you. Where are you going to be playing next season? <laughs> well, I'm back in Miami, man. I'm back in, um, as now, as for now, I'm back in Wade County. Back in Miami with the Heat. Chris, you want to jump in and tell us where you're going to be as well? Yeah, I'm joining Mr. Wade in Miami. Are these final decisions, guys? You don't have to sign until tomorrow. Is there wiggle room? Could somebody else come and steal you between now and then? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm well, Chris, you're final. Um, I'm final. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm fine. I think we're both uh, fine with the situation. Um, we've wanted to play with each other, and uh, we have a golden opportunity to do that. So uh, we're, we're going to take advantage of it. And thanks to ESPN for that clip. They didn't raise money for charity with the announcement, but it was just 15 minutes, still longer than it needed to be, and it got no such negative public reaction. That would all be saved up for LeBron regardless, and Gray could see in LeBron's eyes that evening that he felt the weight of his words. And I could see um, that LeBron was pensive. Uh, I could see that, you know, he wasn't nervous and he wasn't anxious, but you could see that there was a lot on his mind and that this weight was going to be lifted from his shoulders or that that burden that he was going to have to carry was going to get heavier. So, you know, it was really, really a, a juxtaposition because it could be one or the other. If this was some ego-soaked choice for LeBron, it certainly didn't come across on camera. He sounded careful and looked like he wanted no real part of the cameras. The answer to the question everybody wants to know, LeBron, what's your decision? Um, and this fall, man, it's, it's very tough. Um, and this fall, I'm going to take my talents to Southern Beach and um, join the Miami Heat. Miami Heat. That was the conclusion you woke up with this morning. That was the conclusion I woke up with this morning. Thanks again to ESPN for that sound. His choice of words were famously mocked, despite the fact that the taking my talents phrasing was just him parroting his good pal and respected vet Kobe Bryant's words from when he left high school and announced his NBA plans. Uh, Kobe Bryant have decided to take my talents to uh, No, I have decided to skip college and take my talent to the NBA. While it's hard to imagine even LeBron would be prepared for a nation of sports fans to temporarily despise him, Gray believes LeBron's destination of choice was a source of comfort. Not knowing how it was going to be received, obviously, I think he was very happy because he was going to a place that he wanted to go. He had made that decision to go with, uh, with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and Pat Riley and the Miami Heat and to move on from territory that he had been in his entire life and things that were very comfortable. And he was, you know, going to take that next step. And in many ways, it was, you know, the recruiting that he had never had because he didn't participate in college uh, and, and go through all of that. And it was also, you know, this was the moment of player empowerment. OK, he took over his own rights. And with that, as the most powerful and best player in the NBA, he carried the entire Players Association and everybody else with him. Everybody was, you know, at his mercy. And so he took all of the slings and arrows for that. And you have to take into account the fans are hurt in Cleveland. And, and we could have done better for the fans in Cleveland. Uh, and we could have been more sensitive to uh, the feelings that they were having of, of abandonment and of, of losing, you know, their, their homegrown son. So. Yeah, there were areas where we certainly could have done better. Uh, but overall, looking back on that show, it was landmark. It was precedent setting uh, and, it, and it changed the whole paradigm. Paradigm shifts didn't stop with just free agency announcements. The whole NBA model had shifted suddenly. Even the best player in the sport, 
playing for an organization closest to his hometown, could leave for another organization and possibly plan ahead for that to happen? Reaching across the country, across the continent, to select new superstar teammates, then choosing the organization best suited to house them all? That was new. And it was a stark contrast to the Chicago Bulls archetype. Win it with Michael Jordan as the clear best player and do it for the organization that drafted you. This Miami Heat collection was all already starting to feel unfair, unnecessary even, for a player of LeBron's caliber. Then, with less than 24 hours to digest what just happened to NBA basketball, and while most people outside of scorned Cleveland were still fully forming their opinions on the matter, the Heat and their new signees would do something that would spread insufferable thoughts to the rest of the country. They celebrated. Not one championship. Not two. LeBron, tell us about that. Not two, not three, not four, not five. Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddy makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. James, Wade, and Bosch were all in Miami, both to party at a South Florida nightclub into the early morning on July 9th, and to rejoice with fans inside American Airlines Arena for a presentation and interview. Everywhere inside and outside the arena, fans held signs with the three superstars pictured and a slogan that played off President Barack Obama's 2008 campaign slogan, Yes, We Can, reading, Yes, We Did. 
After what seemed like hours of fans gathering in the arena to a constant buzz of excitement and random chants, the Miami Heat's three game-changing free agent signings were brought onto the stage from a platform underneath. Bosch's reaction upon seeing the crowd was to let out a roar that would become his signature celebratory move in Miami. He soaked it all in, not even considering the consequences at the time. Neither did the Heat, frankly, because that party wasn't planned to announce all three of those players. It wasn't put together in less than 24 hours. It was put together weeks earlier to announce the signing of Wade. That wouldn't have felt anything like this did. All that was missing in this celebration in the minds of critics were actual Larry O'Brien championship trophies for what was such a premature celebration. You want to know if people were assuming too much success once these three joined forces? Hip-hop artist and a regular at Big Miami Heat Games, Flo Rida, dropped a song called We Already Won right after the announcements. We already won, we already won, and ain't no need to play no more game. Let me nigga say It was a night intended just for Miami to celebrate something that just doesn't happen to this city, at least not in terms of sports. And in that moment, the Heat's players were in a bubble of support, still in the clouds over the previous 20-some hours of celebration. For Bosch, the regrets were there, but certainly not immediately. Bosch spoke with J.J. Redick about that night on his Old Man and the Three podcast. I, I've always wanted to ask one of you guys, do you guys ever regret or have you ever talked about doing the victory parade uh, before you guys ever played a game together? When you guys all came out on stage, like, was that a mistake? In <laughs> retrospect, was maybe that brought a little bit of that animosity on? You, you can look at it. Yeah, yeah. The animosity, totally 100%. But people have to understand, we didn't organize that. If, if they say, yo, we're signing J.J. Reddick tomorrow and it's 20,000 people there, you, you're not going to be like, nah, let's just, yo, nah, hey, pull the plug. No, <laughs> we're not doing this. You're not going to do that. We went right along with everything that was going on. And I had just found out that um, the only reason that stage was there is because I think I forgot who had a concert. Somebody had a concert, was in between concerts. They were doing three days or something like that, a three-day stretch. So the stage was still there. So we got there. They're like, yo, yeah, but come on, bro. They're like, yo, you, we get there. They're like, yo, look, we got the stage. You guys coming up right here. I'm like, oh, my God. It's like your dream's coming true. You know, with that said, we did not empathize <laughs> or even consider. It was like Miami was a bubble bro we didn't think of anything outside we were just like stage hell yeah interview nailed it i mean we <laughs> took it. yeah bro we you know went right it was just bro thing to thing parties legendary you know what i mean we're living out of a hotel you know it, it was it was just crazy man it was just a crazy time and then about two days after all that stuff happened that's when the smoke cleared and we kind of figured like, oh, they didn't like that. Actually, there was still a slight delay before Bosch could watch his dreams come true the way a rock star would in his first headlining tour. For one, basketball normally needs five guys on the court at any given time, and these three needed some teammates. They all wanted to play with Heat fixture and champion Udonis Haslam as well. Haslam was a coveted free agent at the time and had received a healthy offer from the Denver Nuggets who featured another good friend of James and Wade's, Carmelo Anthony. A Miami native and loyal to his core, Haslam was actually heading to Miami's arena to eventually tell the Heat's front office personnel that he'd be taking the deal from Denver and moving on from Miami because the organization didn't have enough money left under the salary cap structure to re-sign him. Then he got a call from his agent, the late Henry Thomas, who was also Bosch and Wade's agent. Thomas told him when he arrived at the arena to sit in his car for about 30 minutes while he sorted some things out. As it turned out, Wade had reached out and tried to figure out how much money the three main players would have to give up in order for the team to re-sign Haslam. Team owner Mickey Arison, general manager Andy Ellisberg, and team president Pat Riley were all in the building trying to hash out the numbers 
on the day of the celebration. Here's Tim Reynolds again. One of the reasons why the party started so late, they're upstairs in either Mickey's office or Andy's office, and they're all hashing out the money because Udonis had the Denver offer on the table. They were figuring out how much UD would leave on the table, and he left $14 million. I think Denver offered him $34, and Miami, Miami could only come up with 20 So they're all given money back to do this, do this, do this. We're going to get this. We're going to get this. We're going to do this. Dwayne gave back a little bit more than LeBron and Chris. They all work it out. They put on their, their white heat uniforms. They're going down to arena level to start this party finally. And somebody, I assume it was Andy, realized that Chris had not signed everything that he needed to sign. This starts mass chaos. And the party is now delayed again so they can run the paper down to Chris so he can initial whatever form he didn't initial. Because, you know, the Heat do it all by the book. Andy is very particular about the order in which things are signed and all that. And for good reason. That's why he's the best at what he does. And then and only then, after they got Chris to, like, you know, put the paper up on a wall and scribble whatever he had to scribble on it, then it was official, and then and only then could the party start. Haslam giving up millions to stay with his hometown was just the added fervor this gathering needed. He said he immediately knew it was the right choice. Here's Udonis. Everybody got their own things that they're that they searching for. Um, but if your why doesn't align with my why, I can't be in the locker room with you. <laughs> you know, so I, I understood that. Okay, now it's party time. For everyone outside of Miami, those sounds were indicative of an overly brash, unnecessarily talented trio saying way too much, far too soon. The way we're going to challenge each other to get better in practice, once the game starts, I mean, it's going to be easy. I mean, but we also know you three kings came down here to win championships. Not one, championships. Not two. LeBron, tell us about that. Not two, not three, not four. LeBron counting his rings before they hatched were words that would be repeated so often they'd become the rallying cry for those looking to taunt Heat players, particularly James himself. Not five, not six, not seven. The celebration was not just universally considered over-the-top obnoxious, but entirely premature. And it set up even more of a disconnect between LeBron and his fans. But in that moment, inside that Miami bubble, the joy coming from those three players and the fans celebrating with them appeared as genuine as it gets. In its own way, it was actually perfect, at least according to someone like Lebetard, who truly knows Miami. It seemed to me that it would be a whole lot more fun to win with your friends than with people who weren't your friends. So why wouldn't they get together? But every time I raised it as a question in the months preceding the free agency, everyone laughed at me, laughed at the idea of it because it hadn't been done and people couldn't consider or fathom the notion of what ended up happening, which it wasn't merely LeBron James coming here, but it was LeBron James coming here and very much taking a little brother kind of place on the team, allowing Dwayne Wade to lead it, allowing Dwayne Wade to be the centerpiece of the whole thing. It was unusual to see even as it happened. And I'm not sure I could believe that it was happening even as it happened, because I just remember some of the specifics of Dwayne was introduced last. Uh, Dwayne's team, Dwayne City, Dwayne's team, Dwayne City. And I'm like, this other guy's better than Dwayne. Like this other guy is coming in and he's more famous than Dwayne. And he's coming in here, uh, not necessarily for a subservient role, but something a lot different than the one that he was used to. All of a sudden, you had the most interesting sports team of our lifetimes, of my career uh, working in this market. You all of a sudden had a, a team that was disliked by the country and turned us against the world into something that made an appearance very early on with that cartoonish uh, stage entrance where they were celebrating the championship before they had dribbled a basketball. LeBron, on behalf of all of South Florida, thank you. Welcome 
How does it feel wearing a heat uniform? It feels right. It feels right. And uh, to be in this position, to wear this heat uniform um, every single night, uh, we're going to make the world know, not just this league, we're going to make the world know that the heat is back. Let's get it done, man. <laughs> Let's get this thing done. I just thought it was uniquely, cartoonishly, comically Miami. Just loud, colorful, fun, funny, ridiculous. Just absurd. The whole thing was absurd. You had the celebration of a lifetime, and all it was was three guys backstage right before the crane lifted them up there signing the paperwork to finalize that they were actually going to get together and change what would be the next uh, 10 years of that sport. Maybe not 10 years. As you might have guessed from the title of the pod, four years is what LeBron lasted in Miami. But what happened in those four years became one of the most intriguing eras in NBA history, with so many historic moments and unforgettable details that you're bound to learn something new revisiting them. The bump was absolutely a message. I was there courtside and I saw a battery land in front of me. <laughs> Uh-oh, they done made it mad. <laughs> it was a, an incredible pressure cooker for those guys. There was no camaraderie, there was no cohesion, there was no rah-rah speech. It was like when the Americans beat the Soviets in Lake Placid. As that ball left my fingers, it just felt like it floated. This is surreal. Like, we're about to win the NBA championship. One title would not have been enough. Yeah, I might compare us to the Beatles, but it was, it was like a hysteria that I had never been a part of in my 10 years in the league. When I found out that, you know, we got him at Miami Heat, I was super excited, but also I was like, He's a genius. Why? Where else would you go? Nah. <laughs> it's Miami. Four Years of Heat is a production of iHeartRadio and the NBA. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.